This is a podcast about new crops. You're going to love it. Join us on The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. Welcome everyone to The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of crops, new crops for Wisconsin. I'm Jason Fishbach, one of today's co-hosts. I'm the agriculture agent up in Ashland, Bayfield counties, and joining me today is Jerry Clark. Hey, good morning, Jason. Uh, yes, I'm Jerry Clark, uh, Chippewa County agricultural agent uh, with the Division of Extension in UW-Madison. Awesome, Jerry, we had frost last night. First time. Season. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're in that tough. Uh, we didn't have any this far south. I know you're you're in the uh, the northern border there, Jason. But um, it's always that time of year when you don't know if you should, you should turn the furnace on or not. So you try to suffer through a few cold days until it warms back up again. Yeah, that's right. Got to get to October before we turn our heater on. That's, that's our rule. That, that, that's our rule here too. So a few that's of these mornings are a little cool, but that's right. Yeah, does does feel good. Well, we've got a great episode today. I think chestnuts are one of these things, one of these new crops that have a lot of momentum. There's a lot of interest and it's a crop that we call it new, but you know, the reality is this is probably one of the original crops, if you will, for North America in terms of human consumption, chestnuts, especially American chestnut. Uh, chestnuts used to grow everywhere, not so much anymore because of chestnut blight, um, but it's gaining some new excitement i think as a crop as some new genetics and pioneering growers are starting to make it a reality so um with that just want to uh introduce our our guest today is tom wall he's the owner of red fern farm in iowa uh, southeast iowa and has been growing chestnuts for a number of years and along with all kinds of other great crops and, and tom's a true pioneer in trying to help diversify our agricultural landscape I've had a chance to, to hear Tom talk and interact with him over the years. It's just a breath of fresh air to have that kind of energy and vision uh, in agriculture because, you know, we sometimes sort of think that there are only X number of crops that can be involved in agriculture. And the reality is our planet is full of all kinds of amazing plants and genetics and, and even our own backyard that we sometimes ignore. So chestnuts is one of those that I'm hoping uh, continues to, to grow and develop. So Tom, can you, um, Introduce yourself and welcome, I should say. Uh, introduce yourself and Red from Farm and say a little bit about uh, you know how and why you're involved with chestnuts right now. Okay. I'm Tom Wall from Red Fern Farm, as Jason said. Uh, as to why I'm growing chestnuts, it's a really long, boring story. I, I guess I'll, I'll give you the short version. My background is in natural resource conservation and I realized that uh, early on that uh, most of the problems that natural resource conservationists have to deal with are a direct result of problems caused by modern industrial agriculture. And I decided agriculture needed to be reinvented and this is the result. So what you're, uh, Redford Farm, what are you growing these days? <clears throat> um, now, I have to have a list in front of me to, <coughs> to cover it all. Yeah, maybe what um, aren't you growing? <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I am not growing fruits and nuts that uh, are not adapted to a temperate climate. So no bananas, no mangoes, no papayas. Uh, but 
virtually every other fruit and nut that will grow in our climate, <clears throat> we've at least tried. So as um, <clears throat> you know, permaculture is something that we always talk about as far as uh, these perennial trees, plants, is that kind of where your focus is or do you plant some annuals <clears throat> as well? Um, no, I, I don't do much at all with annual, <clears throat> annuals. Uh, I do have some perennial vegetables though, um, but mostly fruit and nut, okay. trees, shrubs, and vines. And are you, you involved in, um, yeah, tell us more about your business. You're, I think you're selling plants in addition to harvesting and selling nuts and fruits too. Is, yeah, just tell us more about uh, your business. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, we actually got into the nursery business uh, so that we wouldn't have to pay so much uh, to plant uh, our trees, shrubs, and vines. And then uh, as a natural consequence of being in the nursery business, we started selling uh, nursery stock to other people to help them get started uh, with perennial crops. Our uh, most important crop is chestnuts by multiple orders of magnitude and also in our nursery business the chestnut nursery stock is the most important more important than all the, the rest put together by multiple orders of magnitude again mm -hmm. and so by chestnuts are you talking chinese <clears throat> chestnuts american chestnuts maybe give us a background on for those that don't know much about um, chestnuts what what's available uh, that could be grown in the midwest Mostly Chinese chestnuts, um, also Chinese American hybrids for the the northern edge of the potential commercial chestnut range. Um, we do have a few <coughs> hybrids that include other species, but uh, uh, by far went in a way Chinese chestnuts the most important. And again, the Chinese American hybrids for extra cold hardiness at the north end of the range. Okay. And are these mainly um, seedlings, meaning grown grown from seed, or are there clonal varieties that are available for growing? Um, yes, there are um, clonal varieties, uh, cultivated varieties or grafted trees available. However, those are useful for breeding purposes, but they are not useful for nut production, at least in our area. Seedling trees will outproduce grafted trees in our area by 500 to 600 percent. Wow. So in Michigan, I think there's one called Colossal, if I remember right. Is that a hybrid yes. variety? Is that just uh, not hardy? Or that, is that... Uh, Colossal is a hybrid. It's a Japanese-European hybrid. Japanese and European chestnuts and the hybrids between them are really not well adapted to a continental climate and they are struggling with colossal in Michigan and I believe they're phasing it out and looking for alternatives. Um, they should be looking at Chinese chestnuts but for various reasons they aren't but Chinese chestnut is the one that's adapted to uh, continental climate and uh, it's also the most resistant to the uh, most serious disease pests of chestnuts, uh, like chestnut blight and phytophthora. So Tom, are, are most of your uh, plants going for production, nut production, or are <clears throat> some people buying your, your plants to try to reforest an area if, or is it mainly just production? 
Uh, I'm not aware of anyone trying to use Chinese chestnuts to, for reforestation. Okay. It's not really a, an appropriate species for that purpose. Is, is there a longevity to the Chinese chestnut as far as how long will that tree survive? Well, there are Chinese chestnuts in China that are over a thousand years old and still producing big crops of nuts. So uh, yes, just like Euro American and European chestnuts, they are potentially a long lived. Yeah, tree. I was just curious if it's something just for production that it's gonna be, you know, a, a 30, 50 year tree and then it kind of runs out of gas, kind of like our apple trees <clears throat> tend to do. Nope, 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 nothing like apple trees. All right, sounds good. And how, how big will the Chinese chestnuts get, say in your, where you grow them in, in Iowa? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I guess you don't ask, know yet, not a thousand years old. Ask me in 500 to 600 years and I'll, and I'll be able to tell you. Yeah. All right. So how big are they now? And how old are they? Uh, I think the biggest ones right now are probably uh, between 30 and 40 feet tall and, and the same width. Okay. Um, so there's, there's a substantial tree. It's not like a, a hazelnut bush or something. Much yes, yes, they, they will get to be a big trees. The, the literature says they'll get 40 feet tall and 40 feet wide, but I've seen photos of them much, much bigger than that. Uh, <clears throat> not from Iowa, but I think on our Iowa soils, I think they're going to get even bigger still than, than, the, than the photos I've seen. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So how, how are they <clears throat> grown? Kind of walk us through the, maybe the first 10 years. Uh, the, the very first step is to find out if you even have a site suited to chestnuts. Uh, they, they do need a, a well-drained soil on the acid side of the pH scale. Uh, and neither of those are negotiable. Um, pH can be amended with uh, uh, soil amendments like elemental sulfur as long as the pH isn't too high, but uh, the, so, for the trees to grow, they do need a pH of 6.5 or lower. Okay. And uh, poorly drained soil absolutely does not work. And we found that out definitively last year. Well, the next step is to find good quality nursery stock and uh, slick glossy color nursery catalogs are not a good source for that material. And unfortunately, there aren't, aren't, aren't a lot of good sources for Chinese chestnuts for commercial nut production out there, but there are a few. Is it typically planted bare at dormant in the spring, or can you plant leaf on <clears throat> sometime in the growing season? Uh, you, you can plant potted nursery stock anytime uh, between when the frost goes out of the ground in the spring up until, well, until the ground freezes, although if you plant after mid-September, you have to mulch really well with coarse wood chips to prevent frost heaving. Got it. And there's a lot of uh, discussion and argument over spacing. And uh, I, I've been recommending the spacing of 20 by 20 for many years, because um, <clears throat> that's the spacing at which the chestnut trees will occupy an acre of land at about the time they're coming into nut production. Uh, but uh, other people are arguing that that spacing is too close because they have to be thinned. Uh, <clears throat> and yes, they do have to be thinned. By the time they're 20 years old, they have to be thinned to 
40 by 40, and then they probably have to be thinned again, somewhere around year 50 or 60, thinned uh, 80 by 80, and then probably one final thinning around year 500. <laughs> <laughs> but if you plant them at 40 by 40 to start with, you'll be losing a lot of nut production in the early years uh, for two reasons. One, because the trees won't be occupying the space when they come into production and also because the pollen doesn't move very far from one tree to another and they have to have cross-pollination in order to reproduce. So the pollination efficiency is uh, much lower at 40 feet than it is at 20 or 30. Gotcha. <clears throat> so what are what uh, size, not size, but age uh, nursery stock is usually planted these days? Or what are the nurseries selling? Are these, you know, one uh, I th <clears throat> yeah, I think most nurseries are selling one-year-old nursery stock. Okay, so if and I plant, say, in the fall, one-year-old stuff, when might I expect my first nut crop, if all goes well, which it no. never does. <clears throat> um, well, that, that's determined by multiple factors, including the genetics of the stock, uh, the, the type of soil they're planted on, the effectiveness of your weed control, and, if, and whether or not you're using a five-foot tree shelter, a ventilated tree shelter. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> uh, with a five-foot tree shelter and on a good site, uh, good, a good weed control and uh, good genetics, you can get nuts in two to four years. Okay. Uh, uh, th uh, th three to four is average, but <clears throat> occasionally people get nuts in two years. Uh, and then you can get your first commercial harvest probably somewhere around year six to eight. And then uh, a more or less mature level of nut production probably around year 15. Um, so how about our favorite four letter word in the perennial crop world, deer? Do they mow these to the ground or do they just nibble or how bad is it? <clears throat> well, if you don't put a tree shelter on them, they will certainly mow them to the ground. Uh, and if you put a four-foot shelter on them, they will reach their mouths down inside the top of the shelter and snip them off six inches below the top of the shelter. You need an all of five feet uh, tree shelter to uh, keep the deer off of them. Uh, cages can work too, and some people prefer to build a cage around each tree, but, but cages are <coughs> extremely labor-intensive, um, much more expensive, and they will delay the years to nut production uh, quite a bit. Uh, with a cage and without a shelter, it will take six to ten years to see your first nut. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so Tom, what, what's being used, or what's your recommendation, or what's being, what do you see being used for the tree shelter? I mean, what, are there <clears throat> certain variety or species that are being used there? Uh, <clears throat> the one I like is uh, made by a company called Plantra, E-L-A-N-T-R-A, -A, uh, out of the Minneapolis area. Um, the, the <clears throat> they make a shelter that's really well ventilated, and that is extremely important for chestnuts. Okay. Un unventilated tree shelters kill chestnuts. Got it. Um, so how about fertility? And I guess, you know, this is a hard one to answer, but... Are they pouring on nitrogen to get these things growing in the early years or as tree crops, you just kind of let them go once they're established, assuming the soil is okay? Um, I think most people 
don't do any fertilization. Most chestnut growers aren't using fertilization, um, <clears throat> including me. I, I've never deliberately <clears throat> uh, fertilized my chestnuts. Uh, I, I have accidentally. Uh, I, I used to grow uh, or raise turkeys, goats, and broiler chickens on pasture. And when I got out of those businesses, I, I planted the fields where I used to have those animals uh, to chestnuts. And when the chestnuts started bearing nuts, the ones, the trees that were located in the areas where manure was concentrated had uh, much higher nut production than the ones that were planted farther away from where manure was concentrated. But aside from that, I have no experience with uh, fertilizing chestnuts. And uh, I don't think there's really any research in North America on the subject. But yes, I'm sure that fertility would increase production. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that said, I'm not sure <clears throat> we really need an increase in production, uh, at least on, on, the, on the best soils. If you're planting Chinese chestnuts on the best soils in the upper Midwest, uh, <clears throat> In, in my experience and in my opinion, I think the trees are already about as productive as they can handle. And uh, if we try and increase the production too much, the tops of the trees are gonna break out from the weight of the nuts. Yeah, right. Um, so there's been, you know, ups and downs in the performance of the chestnuts with this crazy weather the last five years or maybe a decade or so. Or So what's happening in terms of um, wet waterlogged soils, freeze events. Um, what it, is Chinese chestnut susceptible because of the, the root rot problem, Phytophthora, is it a, are there issues just because the pollination window is so sensitive or, or, or what's, what's, how does Chinese chestnut fare with this crazy weather? Uh, well, a late frost in the spring can harm uh, nut production, although I've never seen it eliminate nut production in a year, even in the year 2012, when uh, the trees leafed out uh, two months early and then got nailed by a hard, hard frost, uh, there was still some nut production. Um, a, a late freeze, I mean, a, I mean an early freeze in the fall, uh, ruined our crop in 2003, I believe, that the nuts froze on the tree just before they were ready to drop and we lost the entire crop that year. <clears throat> um, gotcha, because you're harvesting pretty late, right? You haven't even started here, or it's September 8, and when's the typical harvest season for you? Um, in an average year, it starts mid-September, so we're really not, not late yet, but I think we might end up being late. Um, we've had the nuts start dropping as early as September 6, and as late as September 28. Wow. So, it, it, it can vary according to the weather. Uh, uh, but yeah, a, a late hard freeze, I mean an early hard freeze in September could have drastic consequences to the harvest. Uh, but uh, uh, cold, cold winter temperatures really have not been much of an issue. Uh, but the single worst thing that we've experienced was uh, uh, just waterlogged soils between September 20, 
18 and uh, July 2019. Uh, we, our soils were saturated for 10 consecutive months and uh, that was really hard on the trees. Uh, they survived it and they're recovering nicely now but uh, uh, if we'd had a, another week of rain it would have been a disaster. So Tom do you see that is that um, the production side of it is, is it driven by a growing degree day is there do you follow those kind of things to kind of estimate when that harvest is or or what causes it to, to be early or late? Or is it just, you know, the nuts get so big and they drop? Um, in a normal year, it seems to start mid-September. But if we have particularly hot weather just leading up to that, that pushes it, uh, the nut drop uh, ahead to maybe early September. Okay. If we have cold, <coughs> cloudy weather leading up to that, mid-September, then that, that can delay the nut drop. Um, it seems to be the weather toward the end of the, uh, of the. So it's not so much during the growing season that so much as <clears throat> influences that as maybe right around that harvest then is what you're. Uh, yeah. Observing. Yes. Okay. So how, how are they harvested? Off the ground? I assume three that tall? Uh, <clears throat> are they shaken no, off? No, uh, they're not shaken. The nuts aren't ready. They're, they're not ripe until they fall to the ground. Uh, and so, yes, they are harvested from the ground. And different people have come up with different uh, uh, methods of harvesting. Um, worldwide, most of them are picked up by hand. Um, we obviously don't do that so much in the U.S., so people have come up with machines to help. Uh, some people use a vacuum. Some people use a a motorized harvesting machine. Uh, there's a company called FACMA that makes a chestnut harvester that people are using, but uh, uh, what we found works the best for us is a machine called a nut wizard, which is a wire basket about the size and shape of a football that rolls on the end of a pole, and it's about 10 times faster than um, hand picking, and uh, I calculated that uh, five people with nut wizards could stay ahead of the most expensive FACMA machine. Uh, and, uh, and the nut wizards only take two drops of oil per year compared to, <laughs> and they don't make any noise unless you forget to oil them. <laughs> then they, they just squeak <clears throat> um, and they pick up the nuts nice and clean, whereas the FACMA machine picks up uh, dirt and rocks and sticks and burrs and and uh, the nuts have to be cleaned and sanitized if they're picked up with a uh, motorized machine. Sure. So Tom, so, oh, I just had one quick question on this, Jason. Um, is it a living mulch underneath the tree or does it drop into a weed-free, plant-free area? Or how do you manage <clears throat> the, the area where the nuts are gonna drop? Uh, well, I, I prefer to have them dropping on grass. Okay. That, that way the nuts stay clean. And there's a species of grass called uh, creeping red fescue that mm -hmm. uh, is slow to establish, but once it's established, it's uh, sure. extremely durable, tolerant of heavy traffic, um, shade tolerant. So let's, let's talk a little bit about post-harvest uh, handling processing. So um, you, you've, you're picking them up off the ground, you know, the day of, what are, you, what are you doing over the next couple of days with those? Can you just throw them in the shed? Do they need to start drying? What do you do? 
Well, well, <clears throat> we're doing things a little bit different from most people. We're having our customers do our harvesting for us. We loan them nut wizards, uh, but um, they come and do the work and immediately take them home with them. And, and that <clears throat> works great because it eliminates the cost of harvesting and sanitation and refrigeration and packaging and shipping and advertising. Uh, and when you eliminate all those costs, the only thing left is profit. And, and that's by far and away the most profitable way uh, to produce chestnuts. But other people uh, do harvest them from the ground. And if they're using a vacuum or a, or a FACMA harvester, they have to uh, separate the nuts from debris, uh, wash the nuts, sanitize them, uh, sort them into size categories, and then either sell them immediately or put them into refrigeration. Okay, uh, so they have to be cooled right after they're picked for the most yes. part? Uh, yes, they, they should be, if they're gonna be stored, they should be stored in refrigeration because the, the shell on the chestnut is really thin and uh, the kernel inside is mostly water. So they can lose moisture very quickly through the shell of the nut. and that's very expensive water if you're allowing it to evaporate. So you can slow that by keeping them in refrigeration. Uh, they'll also store a lot longer if you keep them refrigerated. And there's, um, is there any husk removal or it's just um, the <clears throat> shell that has to be, and I guess in the chestnut world, it's not shelling so much, it's called peeling, is that right? Um, yeah, that's correct. The, the shell on the chestnut is uh, thin and leathery like a peanut shell and uh, we talk about peeling the chestnuts, not cracking them or shelling them. Um, so let's maybe shift a little bit to the industry and marketing and where you see things going there. So maybe to start off, um, you know, how much chestnut production is there in the upper Midwest, say Iowa, Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota? Um, you know, what's the kind of, what's the range of production right now geographically? Um, well, the, uh, Prairie Grove chestnut growers uh, sold 85,000 pounds of chestnuts in 2018. There was a big drop in 2019 because there was a big drop in production due to the uh, the bad weather, which was pretty much Midwest wide. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, uh, Prairie Grove chestnut growers, I think, sells the vast majority of chestnuts produced in Iowa, Illinois, and Missouri. There's really not much produced in, in Minnesota or Wisconsin yet, although there's hope that that can change. Is that primarily a, a genetics issue or it just hasn't caught on or? Um, yeah, I think it's, there just aren't very many growers in uh, Minnesota or Wisconsin yet, although there are, there are quite a few people who are starting to plant them now but it's going to take a while for production to ramp up in those areas. Um, nice. Southeast Iowa had a, a kind of a big head start a bit over 25 years ago. And I think there, there are over 200 farms in Iowa where, that, where they have planted chestnuts commercially now. And as far as I know, that's more than any other state. Mm -hmm. Any idea how many acres that might be? I guess it depends on density and all the rest, but some ballpark. Um, 
Yeah, I. <clears throat> it, it's probably a couple of hundred at least, but uh, I really don't have any way of estimating that yet. Sure. And gotcha. gotcha. I, I know I, I know who planted them and how many acres that could cover, but how how many of those trees were properly cared for and survived and are going to come into production is anybody's guess. Um, yeah, I would, I would, oh, um, I would just think in Wisconsin, you know, you mentioned the pH being a little <clears throat> on the acidic side, that tends to be the, you know, Jason's part of the world, our part of the world here in Chippewa County, because um, to get any kind of production, we're liming everything to get it, to get rid of the acidity. Um, so I would think, you know, <clears throat> the genetics allow it, this might be a, a potential for our part of the world here. Yeah, I think at least the southern third of Wisconsin, it's, it's certainly uh, viable for commercial chestnut production. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if, you know, if the harvest is until mid-September, you know, like we said at the start of the podcast, I just had my first frost. So <laughs> if we're talking next <clears throat> September, might be too far north here, but mm -hmm. Wisconsin's a big state from north to south and uh, northern Wisconsin. Yeah, 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 I, I, <clears throat> yeah I don't think uh, I don't think um, chestnut production in the northern third of Wisconsin would be possible at all, and in the central third, probably not commercially viable. Uh, in a no is there, is there such a thing as a normal year? But in a normal year, um, what percentage might grade out as extra large versus you know the other size classes? <clears throat> that is extremely variable according to or determined by the location where they're grown and by the genetics of the tree and by several other factors also, including the uh, the crop load that was on that tree the previous year and uh, uh, the soil moisture conditions as the nuts are sizing up. Um, but, uh, and, and that's changed dramatically over the years. Uh, when the uh, Prairie Grove nut growers first started, it went by the name of Southeast Iowa nut, nut growers and uh, back then, uh, I think we were at around 5% small, 40% medium, uh, maybe 50, 50 or 60% large, and then uh, another very small percentage extra large. But the, uh, as the genetics of the trees are improving and uh, better and better genetics are coming into production, the percentage of extra large is increasing every year. So the nurseries that are selling uh, plants, are they saving seed from their best plants? Are they, do they have controlled crossing blocks? So they're selling, say, full sibling plantings? Are they getting all their material from this bre private breeder, Mike? I think that's what you said. Um, you know, like I said, Mike is doing this in his backyard, so he has a few handfuls of nuts of each variety. Uh, yeah. Not able to supply a whole nursery industry, but uh, uh, a lot of the a lot of the best material that's available now are descendants of, of things that uh, Mike Nave developed over the years. Okay. And then, so the nurseries are saving seed from, say, those best plants, so they're half sibs, or, or what are growers getting? Are they getting? Um, <clears throat> sometimes, uh, sometimes they're uh, full sibs, um, but usually they're half siblings. Okay, got it. And what, what traits are most important, would you say, that growers are looking for right now? Just overall health and vigor, or are there specific traits in the plants that are desirable right now? Uh, well, most, most people are looking for large nut size. 
and larger nuts are more profitable to, to produce than, than smaller sizes, even though the smaller sizes are actually more in demand with a customer, huh. uh, which, uh, but, and that's because smaller nuts are harder to pick up than larger nuts. And you have to pick up more of them before you have a pound of them. Uh, so even though in, in at Prairie Grove, the medium size is the most in demand, uh, it's uh, medium sized nuts are not as profitable to grow as large nuts. They're still very profitable though. Uh, the only one I would uh, tell people to avoid is small nuts because even though there's a good market for small nuts, they're so hard to pick up and they take so long to pick up, take so much labor to pick them up, um, that eats up the profit. Gotcha. And, and small nuts do sell for a uh, lower price than than a medium, large, and extra large. Uh -huh. So where where are they grown across the world right now? Are there main countries that are growing chestnuts? Well, China produces uh, around eighty five percent of the world's chestnuts, and and uh -huh. always have that. The Chinese chestnut is by far and away the number one chestnut in the world commercially. Um, by more than five orders of magnitude more important than all the rest put together. Mm -hmm. uh, a Japanese chestnut is a minor species grown in Japan, but the Japanese don't like Japanese chestnuts. Uh, they prefer mm -hmm. Chinese chestnuts. Um, then the other commercial chestnut is the European chestnut, has been in decline uh, for many decades due to chestnut blight and uh, European chestnuts are gradually being replaced in Europe with Japanese-European hybrids, which at least have some resistance to the blight. Okay. How um, does the, uh, you know, there aren't a whole lot of them left, but the American chestnuts, how, how do those nuts compare to Chinese chestnuts in flavor, size? Uh, the American chestnuts are much smaller. They're, they're about the size of the smallest Chinese chestnuts. Um, if, if we mixed American chestnuts in with our production, they would grade out small all the time. Uh, they are sweeter than Chinese chestnuts. Um, their peeling ability and, and palical characteristics are closer to Chinese chestnuts than they are to Japanese and European. Uh, so you can eat, like with Chinese chestnuts, you can eat uh, the kernel, even if the palco hasn't been peeled off. Uh, and you can do that with American chestnuts, whereas the Japanese and European chestnuts uh, have a palco that's thick and leathery and furry and bitter and astringent. So you, you, that palco has to be removed for humans to consider the nut uh, edible. And Japanese and European chestnuts have kernel surfaces that make removing that pellicle difficult, whereas the pellicle comes off easily on Chinese and American chestnuts. Are they, are they primarily still eaten as a holiday snack kind of food, or, um, or are they catching on as a more mainstream? Um, well, it depends on if you're asking about American, Anglo-Americans, or uh, uh, ethnic groups from who grew up in other parts of the world where the chestnuts are known and appreciated. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, the the ethnic customers eat them whenever they can get them uh, and not just at holidays uh, i think 
probably only Americans are, are the only people who just want them at Christmas time, and that's just because of the Christmas song. Because of Bing Crosby or whoever it was. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Uh, and uh, Americans are probably some of the worst chestnut customers in the world because they, they only want one pound, and they only want it at Christmas time, and you have to explain to them what to do with them. Right. Whereas uh, uh, a Bosnian family will want between 300 and 800 pounds as soon as they can get them and they know exactly what to do with them. Huh. But I'd much rather make uh, one 800 pound sale to a Bosnian than 800 individual sales to Americans. Yeah, right, right. <clears throat> so what is involved with, from the customer standpoint, if, if I were to go to Prairie Grove and buy a, uh, not one pound, I'm gonna buy 20 pounds. It looks like that's the minimum. Uh, and they, they come to me in the mail, what do I do next? How do I ensure I get maximum? quality out of those? Uh, we'll store them in the refrigeration. That's absolutely important. Um, but they'll arrive in the fresh state and uh, they really should be cured in order to develop their the maximum flavor. And curing involves taking them out of the refrigerator and just exposing them to air at room temperature for a few days to a couple of weeks, depending on the size of the nut. And uh, uh, in the curing process, the, the chestnut will lose uh, <clears throat> up, up to half of its original moisture content. And the, the kernel will shrink and uh, go from being rigid like a fresh carrot uh, to being uh, kind of soft and spongy like a, a carrot would be if you left it out on your kitchen table for three weeks. And when the, when the kernel shrinks and gets soft, that's when it, its flavor is at its best. Hmm. But they don't store well that way. So you keep the chestnuts in refrigeration, take, an, take them out of the refrigerator to cure them, and then as soon as they're cured, consume them immediately. Or you, you can freeze cured chestnuts and store them long-term that way. But you don't want to freeze fresh chestnuts because that ruins them. Uh, we, found, we found out that uh, uh, in 2003, when he had that hard freeze, uh, wiped out our chestnut crop, even the squirrels won't eat chestnuts <laughs> that, that have been frozen. Well, they're picky, <laughs> apparently. So are they, uh, when, is, when are they roasted? After they're cured? <clears throat> When they're still um, wet? Uh, roasted chestnuts will taste best if they're cured first. Okay. Um, and they're peeled and then roasted? Yes. Got it. Um, well, so well the, 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 the roasting process uh, with, with Chinese chestnuts, when you roast them uh, and then open the shell, the, 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 uh, the pellicle or the skin that covers the kernel usually sticks with the shell. So just the roasting process uh, peels them. Uh, that's okay. not the case with European and Japanese chestnuts, though. So. Gotcha. Uh, so as the industry, it sounds like can sell pretty much everything fresh that you can grow right now, but is there some thought about um, doing the curing, selling cured hazelnuts, or hazelnuts, sorry, se selling cured <clears throat> chestnuts or even roasted, pre-roasted for the customer just to make it easier for consumers, or is there just, there's no <clears throat> need to do it right now because the demand for fresh is so high? Um, yeah, the demand for fresh is so high and will be for decades to come. Uh, processing chestnuts um, 
just isn't justified economically right now because the uh, for example to make chestnut flour it, it requires um, 10 pounds of fresh chestnuts to make four pounds of chestnut flour and uh, uh, and then the cost of taking those fresh chestnuts and producing flour out of them uh, is high enough that you, you would have gotten a lot more money just selling the nuts as they fell from the tree versus converting them into flour. Well, anytime you can sell water, it's a good thing. Yes, and this is very expensive water. Are there other parts of the country where chestnuts might be grown? You know, say California and grow anything. Can they grow chestnuts or do they need a, a, a vernalization period? Um, yeah, uh, chestnuts, chestnuts are grown in Washington, Oregon, and California. Uh, pretty much e anywhere east of the Great Plains uh, in the eastern U.S. Uh, and they, they'll grow as, as far south as Tampa, Florida. But uh, south of Tampa, there isn't enough uh, cold in the wintertime for chestnuts to survive. Gotcha. And these are all pretty much Chinese chestnuts across the these new these other production regions, or is there some um, more of this Japanese yes. European hybrid? Uh, yeah, Michigan has been struggling with Japanese European hybrids for about 25 years and uh, I, I probably will continue to do that for some time to come. Uh, but everybody else in the eastern U.S. is growing uh, Chinese chestnuts. Uh, there is one, there's a chestnut called the Dunstan hybrid, which is really, a, it's a Chinese chestnut with a tiny amount of American genetics in it. Um, so technically it's, it's a hybrid, but it's it's uh, its characteristics are are pretty much pure Chinese, uh, and a lot of people are growing those. But okay. but mostly it's Chinese. Is is Iowa the biggest production region still in the U.S. or or are there bigger growers out west? Um, in in terms of uh, uh, pounds, uh, Michigan and. Uh, probably California are ahead of Iowa at the moment, but we're going to catch up pretty quick as the new planting has come into production because there, there are so many more growers here. So is there a area, um, or if, if you want to learn more about, are, do you have field days down there or, you know, open houses or anything like that? Or is this just, you know, if you're interested in growing it, you know, they always say contact your extension agent. Well, um, maybe Jason knows, a, I know he knows a lot more than I do, but <laughs> a lot of us are trying to learn about these crops as we go along or, or where the potential is. But do you guys offer um, open houses or is there, uh, you know, some trainings or something like that where people can uh, learn a little more about uh, how to grow them? Uh, the University of Missouri Center for Agroforestry has a lot of information about chestnut growing. Um, uh, Chestnut Growers of America is another good source of information and Northern Nut Growers Association. Uh, we do, um, we used to have field days pretty regularly, but we stopped doing that recently. Uh, we still have private tours by appointment, but we don't have any scheduled field days uh, anymore and probably won't for a while. Yep, sure. Um, what's plant availability looking like from nurseries? Is this something where you got to order two years out or can you get excited in February and have trees ready to plant at spring or? or well, we well I, can't, I can't speak for other nurseries, but with, with our nursery, <clears throat> um, uh, 
you can start ordering them in late November and uh, as long as you get them ordered by end of January, um, you, you're probably okay. But we've, we've been selling out earlier and earlier every year. And uh, I, I would guess that other nurseries are doing the same. And Tom, what specifically are you, are you selling uh, from the chestnuts? Are these bare root that you're digging in the spring or are you planting no. to order and then ship in the fall or? No, you <clears throat> we, well, we don't ship at all for one thing. Uh, we we used to produce um, bed-grown bare root trees, but the demand for the potted trees has been so high that uh, we just never had any uh, seed left over for producing bare root material. So all of our stock is potted and all of it has to be picked up at the nursery. Got it. And these are one-year-olds, so you plant them in the spring, ready to... Um, yeah, they're, well, they're... In, in a lot of cases, they're only a couple of months old. Um, we start them in uh, late April or early May, and uh, uh, the first ones are ready to plant as early as late May. And uh, most of them are, are ready to go by the end of June. And I'd say about two thirds of them are planted around that time, and then the rest are planted around uh, late August or early September. Well, Tom, thanks so much for your time. Hopefully the rain stops here. We can all get back outside, but yeah. Well, well, we actually need the rain, so. Oh yeah, you guys have had <laughs> quite a year between, did you get derecho effects or are you far enough <clears throat> south? I, th or? I, think the, <clears throat> I think we caught the edge of it. Our winds okay. didn't get, o get, get over 80. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, between drought, derecho, COVID. Yeah. Yeah, we were hit by derecho 22 years ago, though, a direct hit. All right, well, so maybe we should say a few words. The Perennial Farm Gathering, I see the Savannah Institute bag there behind you. Uh, sounds like they're gonna do an online version of their Perennial Farm Gathering. For those of you that aren't familiar, Savannah Institute, it's a nonprofit organization that, uh, working to advance agroforestry uh, across the upper Midwest. And you know, a real champion of a lot of these emerging uh, fruit and nut crops, ch chestnuts front and center. And uh, they usually do a, a big conference in December, but because of the COVID restrictions, they're gonna do it all online this year, uh, virtual. And that just gives an opportunity for more people to participate, I think, because they don't have to travel. Um, so anyway, if anyone's interested, because it's, it's always been a great conference to me to learn about this stuff and hear from all the people involved in, in all these cool new crops. So hopefully people can join that. Well, with that, Tom, thank you. Uh, appreciate your time. And, Brought to you by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension.